of it. Testimony goes on and on and on. It's magnetic, it's prophetic, it's got stories being told. Hey, welcome back to the Jesus Magnet Podcast. We're your hosts, Joel and Laura. And today we're joined with Anne. How are you doing, Anne? Good, thank you. So, Anne, you've just been on our podcast already with um, your amazing husband, Mike, um, and your work with Open Doors. Yeah. And uh, we're here in Wendy Wellington. Yeah. (laughs) It's quite the storm right now. Today, yep. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's so cool to see what you guys do, especially as a couple um, in ministry. You know, you're, you're working together and, uh, you know, sometimes you get uh, one or the other really getting into ministry and the and the other one supporting them. But you two both work so hard in ministry together. It's really, really cool um, just to see how that, that relationship, that dynamic between you two. Um, you're like a good, a nice wine with a good steak, you know. You complement <laughs> each other very well. Yeah, we're very different, um, but definitely, yeah, God brought us together. There's a story in that too. So, yeah, yeah, no, it's, it is awesome. It is awesome. Yeah. Mm. Oh, we're stoked to have you on, on the podcast for sure. Um, and now we get to hear your testimony on why you follow the Lord with everything and in your work life, in your family life, in your spiritual life, and God's centre centre point of it all, which is very cool. Yeah, that is a big question. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I'm actually a PK as in a pastor's kid. Okay. Um, My dad was an Anglican pastor, and uh, he's well retired now, well well into his uh, golden years. Um, Yeah, so I always had heard about Jesus and gone to church as you do as a PK, compulsory, right? You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but the amazing thing that I look back now is my both my parents have had a very relation, real relationship with Jesus well before I was born. They uh, encountered the Holy Spirit and filled with him before I was born. They used to be um, chaplains at Massey University um, and, yeah, really encountered him before that. So when I was being brought up, it was... Um, a very real thing for them. At the same time, though, being a PK, you see the very real rawness of the fact that the pastors are not perfect. Mm. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so for me, I guess there's always awareness of God and um, wanting to know if he's real or not, but at the same time being aware of what is real and what is not versus, you know, what you see your parents do on a Sunday versus what you get in the car on the way there or you know, the arguments in the, in, during the week. And um, the one thing that I really thank my parents for is putting me in a position where I could encounter God for myself rather than just in church and you must do this, you must do that. And um, one of my first experiences with God was actually at a scripture union camp when I was, would have been about seven. So I'm one of five kids, and um, I look back and go, oh, wow, that's awesome. Now as a mum, I think, oh, gosh, mum's probably just wanting a break, <laughs> <laughs> sending us off for a week. Um But at that camp was probably my first experience of really feeling God for myself in a context where I wasn't the pastor's kid, I wasn't being watched or that sense of being watched. And um, what I look back now is feeling his presence, his love, um, directly into my heart. So I didn't have words for that, but they did ask, you know, who wants to follow Jesus? And I remember saying, yes, I want to follow Jesus. And they wrote a little card and had the date and all of that kind of thing. And for many years I thought, oh, that I used to say to God, oh, that really wasn't, I wasn't really sick. And, and I remember once he sort of said to me, you can't, that was when you were saved, you can't discredit that, that is just as legit as... Your parents you know. said that to you? No, I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, because for years into my early 20s I'd say, oh, I don't really have a testimony, I don't really know where I got saved. And then God reminded me of that time at seven and said, no, that's when you were saved and that was that was real. So... That was really good for me because I had for a long time thought oh, I don't really have a testimony. I didn't, you know, go from being, you know, drug addict to suddenly having a radical change. But so for me, my walk with Jesus has very much been a sort of a series of encounters where I've had a new understanding of Him, a new freedom, um, and it's gone from that. Rather than being, I'm doing this because of my parents, because my personality is that if I was going to rebel, I would rebel. Um, um, 
I'm definitely not going to follow something just because my parents do it, put it that way. Mm. Um, but I think the opportunity of being in a family where I'm exposed to God, I can see, all the, see what's Jesus and what's not quite clearly because of, you know, that they're not perfect humans. Um, but it makes the real more real as well, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Mm. Did so, you um, ever feel like a pressure to, like as a kid, being pastor's kid, um, a pressure to be a certain way or to, um, I have to be a Christian because like, my whole family's Christian or anything like that? Um, no. I think, I mean, I think as a kid you just buck against the, um, you know, you have your moment, what, I have to go to church or whatever. Actually, because there's five of us, it's, we're almost like a pack. So you just all, because I've got older brothers, younger brothers, older sister, younger sister, you sort of, you're doing it, we're all doing it, and you just get into it. But So not really a pressure. I think at times you feel like um, your life is a little bit public. Mm. But the benefit on the flip side is having, you know, these gorgeous old ladies praying for us and being like a substitute grandparents because my grandparents live far away. Um, so looking back, I'm actually very thankful for it. I never felt a huge pressure. My mum is um, very Holy Spirit-led, and um, actually my dad went on sabbatical when I was 15, and at that time our youth group was quite small, so I didn't have a huge peer group of Christian friends, but um, dad was away for three months um, doing some incredible things on a sabbatical, but mum um, took me along to a Pentecostal church that had a large life group, um, not life group, youth group, and... um, Basically, from then on, I started going there and being part of that youth group. So I found that really good for me in terms of being able to establish my faith separate from my parents and what they were doing in that sort of critical teenage yep. years and being just free to be myself and, and not um, have to behave a certain way. And that, that caused a bit of ruckus, I think, for, you know, I think I really honour my dad for allowing me to do that because that's really hard when you're, own, you know, you're feeling like, oh, they don't want to come to my own church. But they've both been... Uh, great champions in terms of we want you to have your own relationship and if that means going to another church, then that's great. And um, Yeah, but I really actually I quite value the, um, having the different perspectives of um, Jesus culturally in terms of the Anglican way of worshipping and then Pentecostal churches and, and as I've moved and lived in different places, just seeing Jesus through different expressions has been um, cool and you learn to eat the meat and leave the bones is what I say, you know, Every church is um, different and not perfect and full of imperfect people following a perfect God. But, um, yeah, so not a huge pressure. But my my personality is a little bit more like I will, once I decide I'm doing something, it's less influenced by peers, I guess. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So growing up with, uh, obviously, pastor parents and, um, the church watching you really closely, <laughs> probably all the yeah. time, and then and it's really cool how your, your parents even let you attend a different church. But um, did you get a? Did your your parents teach you how to hear the hear the Lord's voice, or is that something that you became attuned to at was it six or seven years old when you um, experienced Christ? Yeah, yeah. So at that same camp, they're obviously quite um, radical for their day. Um, they had prayer for kids to get filled with the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues and all the gifts of the Spirit at the time. And as a kid, I was like, yeah, I want that. But then I was too nervous to, I was actually too nervous to go up for the older call for prayer for that because, Lord, what do I have to do, you know? Um, so I came back from, it wasn't the same camp that I got saved, but around the time, the same time, um, they had an older call for that. I came back from camp and I asked mum to pray for me that I'd have the gift of tongues and and praying tongues, and she so she prayed for me just in bed at bedtime, and then um, she's okay now. Speak, and they're like, you know, and and never <laughs> did anything again. Um, that's a whole story in itself because when I was twenty something, um, I'd had multiple experiences of with the Holy Spirit, but um, I remember in my own time, just in my room, saying, "God, I just want this gift of tongues. Why, why can't I get it? You know, it's just." Why, why is it not, because I'm a real deep thinker and heady and, and my head gets in a way a lot and I remember God's reminding me again of that and saying, oh look, I gave you the gift when you're seven, you just need to open your mouth and trust that it's me and so I did open my mouth just in my room, it was actually my hostel room at uni and got my first words and stuff but I do look back and go, oh that's when I was awakened to the 
sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. And I think just a little, I don't, there's no one thing in terms of hearing his voice for me is a lot through just reading the Bible and then something jumping out at me, especially in my growing early years, um, just reading the Bible and then some verse would totally answer the, you know, uh, prayer of my heart, you know, if it's to do with, you know, teenage drama and feeling rejected and, and, you know, some verse immediately jumping out. And I think through that, through that I've learnt to trust his voice when it is a still small voice. It's not a verse, you know, because it's like all that sounds the same. Mm. So, um, and I went to lots of Christian camps and things growing up and I think each one of those added sort of layer on layer, but it's sort of a slow burn, you know, building. Yeah. So you were continually reading your Bible and all that as you went to uni, is that right? Because uni seems to be a bit of a hub for many Christians losing their faith. So you yeah. actually holding on to your faith because it can be challenged the most through uh, university is a huge testimony. How did you go through uni and, and I mean, what was your your rough week? Did you um, <laughs> go to church, find a youth group, find a um, yeah. Bible group or something like that to continue to be edified? Yeah, so for me... I had probably another significant encounter time with God when I was about 16 and I went to, it was actually a Tony Campolo meeting and he had an altar call for people who felt called to missions and I went up and got touched by God and then around the same time I went to a Bill Sabritsky meeting, you may have heard of him or not, um, an old general in the faith in New Zealand and got prayer for baptism in the Holy Spirit again and got completely um, overwhelmed I guess by the presence of God and crying and um, not knowing why I'm crying and what's going on, God. And, and, but at the same time in that process, being healed of a lot of emotional, teen, you know how, you know, the rejection, the, those normal kind of teenage things that you have, am, am I good enough and, you know, rejection and all that kind of stuff. And because of that, as going um, into sort of uni, it was like a no-brainer for me to carry, because it's a relationship, right, with Jesus. It's not a um, sort of ditch him because you know there's something cooler over the fence I found the more I've known him the more I've actually seen things for what they are so seeing all the partying or seeing the whatever it's like oh man they're 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 really insecure or they're really you know they're really looking for love and so I've always um that's been a gift I guess from the Holy Spirit to be able to see things for what they are um and when I got to uni um I got hooked in with actually the navigators. Um, there's the two options, obviously, the, inter, the ICF or whatever it is, and navigators, and hooked in there. And it was a really cool bunch of people who had from all sorts of different churches, from Baptist to Brethren to Pentecostal, to even we had a charismatic Catholic in there. And um, it was just really solid on spiritual disciplines and learning about fasting and memorising the Bible. And not that I'm necessarily a, a pro at all of those things, but... Um, really solid foundation across different churches, and then at the same time, I went to an apostolic church at the time. It was called that. Um, but then I flattered with people from different churches, and then probably my second or third year into uni, um, there was a move of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you probably too young for it now. Called that. Um, they call it the Toronto Blessing, where there's like a breakout of the Holy Spirit in churches, where people are rolling around the floor laughing and all sorts of crazy stuff happening, but really powerful encounter time with God and that would broken out in one of the churches my flatmate went to and um, because we're just hung once you get literally when you, you get whacked by the presence of God it is like a, it is like a drug there's nothing else that satisfies than being that intensely loved by him and um, so for a period of probably a couple of years we'd, we'd go off to their church every night so I'd be apostolic in the morning and then go to that Elam church at night and have um, I often call myself the frozen chosen because I'd be up there and not moving, not falling over or anything, but just having waves and waves of the Lord's presence washing over me. But then my flatmates would literally be drunk in the Holy Spirit and would have to like literally have to carry them out of church every every Sunday night. So um, yeah, I'm really grateful. I mean, I do remember praying just before I left to go to uni. Lord, would you give me some kindred friends and um, would you pipe? you know, pave the way. And I just really saw in that period of time probably really strategic friendships and an incredible answer to prayer for that. But I did also have probably um, what I'd call a dark night of the soul season as well. 
And that came off the back of, I went on my first mission trip while I was at uni. I went to a, it was actually a CMS youth uh, mission trip that took us to India for the whole summer. So we had eight weeks, two weeks prep and then six weeks over there and then a week afterwards. And while I was in India, I saw miracles for the first time and met people who had raised people from the dead and it completely blew my mind in terms of like, God, what is possible? And then meeting other Christians who are just like me, but they just got, you know, different skin colour, a different expression of that, really impacted me. And after that season, I actually probably had the hardest time for for a good number of years in terms of like, I've just tasted you and, and what is the point of, you know, the Sunday two praise songs to worship? You know, that I questioned a lot of the stuff that we do culturally in church um, because I'd seen Jesus work in a completely different culture mm. in a completely different way. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a really impactful time, that whole time at uni, like amazing move of the Holy Spirit, things like that, but also the dark night of the soul. And I remember going, okay, I know that I don't feel like going to church, I don't feel like going to pre-meetings, I don't feel like any of this, but I know that if I at least turn up, there's a chance that God will speak to me. Uh, and I describe it like hanging on to Jesus' coattails. You're just like, okay, I'm hanging on to you, trusting that you'll bring some kind of answer. And I think... You know, it was about six months, and I forced myself to go to church just because there's a chance that God could speak to me. And at the end of it, it wasn't sort of like a blinding. I sort of came out of it. I had, I remember, I had one day. I was like, right, I'm going to stay in my room and just pray and read and just mull things over with God until you answer me. And um, I, I sort of ended up having this real revelation at the end. It's like, well, actually. It's actually only about, at the end of the day, our faith is actually about Jesus himself and relationship with him and anything else that goes with that is sort of periphery. And it was funny, it just was one, none of my questions were answered, you know, the, what about marriage, what about ministry, what about, you know, <laughs> money, what am I doing with my life? None of those were answered, but um, I think I had a new revelation of who he is himself and and that was enough. So, yeah, yeah. It was a cool season. I've got lifelong friends from that season of life and friends who are now pastors and all sorts of other things. So, yeah. It is so neat. Um, it, it actually goes along the same lines of, of what your husband was just talking about, Mike, and um, he was saying that the hardest, probably the hardest part of going on missions is not the mission itself, it is the return from missions. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And um, you almost feel like you're walking back into a sleepy church um, because yeah. you've just had this taste of all these miracles and these resurrections and just all this amazing God moments yeah. that happens a lot more in, on, in developing nations and things like that. And in the Western world, well, I actually, I lie about that because on this podcast we've had yeah. <laughs> almost every miracle <laughs> <laughs> that I can think of um, in New Zealand. Um, so they are out there, but... It's it's interesting that you put it that way. You know, you guys are on the same page of that. Um, so you obviously got hooked onto following Christ's presence and just wanting to to have Him lead your life. And He's done that with you, and He's done that with your husband Mike, and you guys working together so well. At what point did you end up meeting Mike, and were you guys doing missions together, or? Yeah, well, I um, we didn't meet until sort of mid to late twenties. Do you find in churches that people get married at twenty, or they get married late twenties? So I was in the, the second batch, watching all my friends get married and going, "God, you know." I actually I felt at one point that I had to lay down that you know that God challenged me, "Will you lay down that desire to be married?" Which I did with kicking and screaming, but I did. But um, no, I got to the point where pretty arrogantly <laughs> thought that I'd have to leave the country because you'd get to know Christian circles got well I was like oh I'm gonna have to go overseas to meet someone um and I actually had a bit of a journey with a flatmate of mine we called ourselves the marriage prep flat because we'd um me and my friend would flatted for about four or five years and we'd have girls come in and then they'd leave to get married come in leave to be married <laughs> literally like four or five of them like oh you know we're going to be on the shelf forever. So we actually at, um, we actually prayed together in the end about the whole laying that down and praying for our husbands to keep us on track as well, which was an interesting journey in itself. But it, it did come to a point where it was a totally letting go, and then okay, God, I just want to pursue you, whatever. 
and then out of the blue, as is often the case, <laughs> I had a couple of other um, sort of dancers dating with a couple of people, but they didn't work out. And um, my aunt um, happened to host a youth life group that Mike led in her house. She was in one part of Auckland. I was 45 minutes drive on the other side of Auckland. Anyway, she said... She felt from the Lord that we should meet. And um, at that point, Mike had been in Nepal for a year. He'd, um, I think he was doing missions at his church. He was an intern. I was super involved in my church. I'd done several mission trips. And um, so she said to me, oh, there's someone I'd like you to meet. She'd been trying to get us to come for barbecues, you know, casually without mentioning anything for months. And we're too busy to ever, <laughs> ever get there. And then uh, I think she said to Mike, oh, someone involved in missions that you should meet or something or other. So she got us over there for our afternoon tea. It's actually 20 years this week since we met each other. Oh, wow. Which is amazing. And, um, yeah, so totally not what I expected. I was I, definitely far too idealistic and probably pushed people away by being too, um, <laughs> too uh, judgmental about who I should date or not date, but... So this was God's way of getting around that. I got to meet him without having preconceived ideas, and because I don't, yeah. And uh, so we got that first meeting. My uncle talked the whole time. We never got to talk to each other, but then he rang me up later, and we went on dates. And then so we dated for a little bit, and it was actually fun because there's no church people watching and going, "Ooh, what's going on?" <laughs> and then uh, yeah, went from there, and um, it was quite cool because I had this internal dialogue with God because I'd sort of um, gone, okay. Lord, I, don't, I won't look at anybody unless unless they've got the you know same heart and vision as me, and sort of key core things that you could you know do life together that we agreed on, and then a few fun things as well. Like um, for some reason, I wanted a left-handed husband. I don't know why to this day, <laughs> but um, just a few fun things in there as well. And over the course of the next two or three months, I felt like God ticked off, starting with the top being the same vision. Was on our first date, we talked about things that I'd, you know, hadn't, hadn't spoken to other people about in terms of vision and randomly, you know, no pressure. I don't. I hope Mike didn't feel pressure, but um, now nah, right through to um, you know, bottom of my list, him picking me wildflowers, which happened to be my favourite flowers, which only God knew. I'd never told him that. So um, yeah, so that was a really fun journey. After years, though. After years of laying it down again and again and um, that whole temptation just to settle for, because you could, to be honest, you can marry anyone. You have a set of you know benefits and a set of challenges with each person you marry. And I'm sure God is fine with us marrying anybody, but you know, I was always holding out for someone that I could do life ministry with and have that, have that partnership with because I had enough friends who've you know, struggled with um, partners who don't have the same vision or whatever so mm. I know a few people that were I suppose in that same boat of like waiting <laughs> yes, <laughs> I was going to write a book on it when that got, <laughs> yeah no. yeah what what would you um what was the best thing you learned I suppose and during that time how would you encourage those people in that position um I had the opportunity to get closer to the Lord himself I think and and the freedom to just go and do mission trips and lead mission trips and um, go to different concerts. I mean, not that, I mean, I would have dropped it if, you know, there was somebody that I met that took my attention or whatever. But um, I think in the waiting, I think waiting for anything, um, you end up finding Jesus himself in that, which is the actual reward, whatever the outcome of the thing. So I think um, for me, it's actually having a deepening relationship with him so that when I did meet Mike, who was quite different from me, that I had... I could lean on Jesus and not on him when you, you hit the inevitable um, frustrations of life and being married with someone who's <laughs> not the same as you. Um, but, you know, on the waiting, I mean, looking back, you go, oh, flip, I you know, should have made more opportunity with this and that because you can do what you like, when you like, spend <laughs> your money how you like and all those things. But, um, no, I think that it, I think my encouragement to people in that waiting season is to say, uh, is to go, Jesus, what can I do now? in the season that I might not be able to do when I'm married and just go running after that and you'll end up bumping into the person that you're meant to be with in that process. I had a friend and she had a heart to work with um, at-risk youth and she felt like, oh, I'm never going to meet someone who not only compliments me but also has the same heart at such a small country, da-da-da. And so she just went on 
running after that vision and met her husband in the same place, so they're both running after the same thing. So um, it's painful. I know what it, I know what it's like. You know, when, I think I was twenty eight when I got married, and that's a long time between feeling like you're ready to get married at twenty eight years. But um, yeah, just hang on to Jesus and, mm. and heal her. Yeah, yeah, and feel free to rant at him, you know, and just that's part of a relationship, right? You know, Mm, true. Um, We sometimes talk about this, and the Bible uh, states in there, and past. I'm just going to give we shout out to Pastor Daryl Watson, um, who always yells us out from the pulpit. um, Is when. The Bible says really clearly when the ma- when a man finds his wife, not when the wife finds yeah. her husband. <laughs> um, and uh, to to I, I really think that advice that you just presented there is is truly key to finding a godly husband. Um, Proverbs talks about you know a godly wife is the crown jewels on um, on her. You know, like essentially that's what is attractive is the godliness of, of a woman. And your advice is to chase after God with everything. Mm. And that is what a godly man wants. That's mm. that's something that is the most attractive thing ever. And, and I, th- I mean, you and um, Mike are just really, really perfect in that sense. You know, you're both really chasing after the Lord with everything that you've got. And just hearing Mike's testimony before and your testimony now, you've always been like that. Both of you guys have, have been chasing after the Lord and, and you're sort of running along the race and then you just look to the left or to the right and then there's there's your, yeah. there's your spouse um, running alongside you. And, um, yeah, I just think that's really, really cool. Um, whereabouts is God taking you now from... Yeah, where you've yeah. been and where you're going. Yeah. So, um, of course, when I was 20, I thought, right, by the 25, I'm going to be full-time on the mission field. And, you know, you've got your plans set out for you before you. And I wanted to be a doctor originally. I ended up being a physio because I wanted to have a skill that was useful overseas and really set on this thing. When I was um, midway through uni, I went on this trip to India and God just sort of blew my mind in terms of what is possible and sort of got a vision for the global church and a um, sort of a bigger picture of how, you know, here in New Zealand we have so much resources that we could help equip the local church um, for what they're doing or just fill in some gaps and at the same time as they can teach us, of course. They have um, so much to teach us, my goodness. Um, so, yeah, my sort of vision for my life changed at that point and at that point God put in my heart a lot of things to do with um, church here but globally and how we can partner together and always wanting to be involved in some kind of missions international. I've always loved different cultures and I sort of see it like, you know, different facets of a diamond that each culture has a face of Jesus to show us, you know, and um and if we can if we look for it we'll find it. But um so I had this plan for my life and then um busy getting into short term missions and leading stuff and then we get married and then we went to England for a couple of years and I thought we'd be jumping off to do sort of all this mission stuff and then we had kids and we felt I mean each step of the way we've just said, God, what do you want us to do? And so we've just been led step by step, not really knowing the big picture, felt to come back to New Zealand. And so we had um, our first kid, um, total gift from the Lord, but we hadn't planned to have him then. We were waiting to, for, going to wait for another year. But so we came home and then, so we got, I got stuck knee high in nappies and then Mike um, was working as a graphic designer and I actually almost had a, a like a bit of a crisis. Like here I'm in this new city, I'd moved to Wellington, hadn't been there, hadn't been known there as an adult and then suddenly I've got, within six years, got three kids, and I, I'm, I'm just the mum, you know. And um, that actually had a bit of an identity crisis in that season, that whole, you know, challenging of, um, it's like spiritual boot camp, I think, because you learn how to have a relationship with God on the fly because you can't have one hour praying because you've got kids and, you you know, kids waking you up and dramas and sleeplessness and you fall asleep if you sit down, you know, all of that stuff, but... That whole, in that season, that first six, seven years of having to figure out, um, 
I can't, I'm not actually doing anything from God for God that is cool or significant or anybody's looking at, but um, what does it mean to follow you and is this worth it and my, is my life a waste, you know, all of those things because I'd had 10 years of, well, six, eight years of working as a physio and you know, working with um, professional athletes and different things where it gives you lots of kudos in society and suddenly you've got no kudos and inverted commas because you're just a mum and you're not working in a job. Um, but I look back and go, that's, that was awesome because it strips you back down again it's like what actually really matters you know what does matter what you do for God or just actually Mm. being with him and finding him in that place and being able to relate to other mums you know with kids and whatever so we're in that season and just seeking God or what are we doing you know Mike's working as a graphic designer he feels called to ministry but it's not you know um so we've been in this sort of 15 was was 10 year period of like okay we'll just do what you have asked us to do, got really involved in our church and serving there in any way that God sort of opened up for that. Um, at the same time, having dreams in my heart that haven't been fulfilled, you know, when I was 20 and went to India, having dreams there about how we can get involved in different things. But um, we did get desperate um, just before we ended up working for Open Doors, like, God, what about us? Have you forgotten us? You know, and uh, through a series of different steps, you know, we sort of re- I mean, before I got married, I did a um, courier trip with Open Doors where we um, took um, Bibles and smuggled stuff into Vietnam. And that really impacted my life. And since doing that trip, I thought, oh, well, you know, when I have spare money, we'll support them on top of the other things that we're supporting. And so at that time, we did resort out our finances. We started giving to Open Doors. And then through that and through being on the mailing list, the um, opportunity for jobs came up and it was actually based in Auckland but I just had this thing in my spirit it's like oh Mike you should apply for that and then he said oh you should apply for the you know the um, admin job and um, so he ended up applying it and they gave it to him without realising he wasn't living in Auckland at the <laughs> time <laughs> and, and then they realised and they're like oh he's the right guy but he's living in Wellington but so that started our journey into feeling like we could actually begin to express more of our heart for missions in that global scale of empowering the church in places of persecution. Um, but again, um, sort of probably even now, only beginning to see the fulfillment of some of the things I've had dreams of um, in my 20s of, of having fivefold ministries equipping people. You know, the church is the people of Jesus. You know, it's not the structure or the, the name on the church, it's the people, you know. And um, so finding even just now more opportunities opening up for us to do that as God connects, and it's all through relationship, isn't it? You know, you, um, you can try and make things happen without him, but I've learned very quickly that's fruitless to do that. So, um, yeah, we have no idea what the future holds, but I'm very confident uh, in where he's taking us because he's God, you know. And I actually look back to the last fifth, well, my, my son's 16. So 16 years of being mum is real digging deep with God, Um like I say, learning how to do a relationship with him on the fly when you can't, you know, do all those nice little tick boxes of Christianity. Um, <laughs> uh, learning to hear him in the middle of a tantrum, you know, like, Jesus, what do I do? <laughs> and then learning to repent when you, you know, you yell at your kids and, you know, all the parts of your personality that need sandpapering. And mm. I always remember my mum saying that, you know, getting married. It's like one level of self-sacrifice and every child is another deeper level. <laughs> it's, like, yeah, it's true to an ex- I mean, obviously the greatest joy of your life as well, but it is true that you learn the parts of you that aren't perfect very quickly. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Do you see yourself uh, continuing to work with open doors on a, on a larger capacity than what you're doing now? Or, um, I mean, you guys already uh, hugely involved with Open Doors. and um, But, yeah, where do you see yourself with that ministry in particular? Um, we're really open. Um, obviously, Open Doors is a really big organisation. It's got 20 base fundraising bases for the work in 70 countries. Amazing organisation. When I went on my first trip smuggling and when I was about 25, it was quite a miracle on how I got to go on that trip. And I remember saying at the time, such an amazing miracle there must be some reason God got me on this trip you know and um, looking back now I know that's one of those sort of divine connections or God things so 
open doors will always be part of our life. What that looks like, I don't know. We're really open to God using us in whichever way he whichever wants Whichever door to. he opens. Yeah. <laughs> so cliche. <laughs> yeah, it's funny I even memorised that verse in Revelation about what he opens no one can shut before I'd even done any of this. And it's one of those key verses of my life, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, I was actually going. I, I keep forgetting to ask that. What you know? Where does "open doors" come from? That the the name of it is it that verse in Revelations? Um, yeah. So where does "open doors" come from? Brother Andrew um, actually started. God spoke to him originally by saying uh, through the scripture that says, "Wake up, strengthen that which is feeble," and um, so that that's where his strengthen that which remains. And I think that's in Revelation as well. And so his whole thing is we, we need to strengthen the church that is suffering so that they can therefore bring the gospel to the hardest nations. It's part of the Great Commission, really. The name Open Doors came from something he used to say a lot and still would do. Um, he's still alive. That there is no closed door for the gospel, that, that every door is open to the gospel. Um, and so from that, it was actually partners in South Africa who decided that they would fundraise in South Africa for what he was doing, this is 60 years ago, and they called their thing Open Doors because every door is open to the gospel. And then um, off the back of that, um, when it began to expand and other countries said, yeah, we want to fundraise in this country for what you're doing, we want to fundraise too, they, they adopted the name Open Doors because every door is open to the gospel. Mm. So a lot of people think, um, you know, our, our friends, um, the Ripkins say that... Um, you are just as free to share Jesus in North Korea as you are in New Zealand. There's no no difference; just the cost is different. Mm. You know, so that whole the idea that the gospel is there's no closed door to it. It's just what is the cost that you pay for that? It's mm. mm. a that's a riveting um, <laughs> truth, isn't it? When when you when it's put like that, and um, but it's so true. You know, like uh, there's there's a handful of parables in the Bible where um, Jesus is talking, he says, you know, I, I really like the one where the man's building a tower. Who doesn't build a tower um, and first count the cost, uh, lay the foundation exactly what it's going to cost him to build the tower because he might get halfway through and realize that he has run out of materials or run yeah. out of money and people will mock him and laugh at him. And Jesus there is talking about who doesn't cost, First, count the cost of following Christ, um, and because it's true, the, the the free gift of salvation is there. It's free, but it will cost you everything. It will cost you your life. Mm. And um, that Jesus, when he when, when we're presented with something like that, I loved that. You know, going to North Korea, the the gift of of sharing the gospel with someone is still our freedom to do that. But are we willing to pay what the price will be from doing from essentially exercising that freedom? Yeah. Um, and when, oh man, if you haven't heard the persecuted church episode, listen to that because this will make a lot more sense with what we're saying. Yeah. Is going and and sharing the gospel with those that might never ever hear it, and getting to the point where everything relies on that that you have nothing left to lose creates diamonds pressure makes diamonds yeah and it fans people's faith into flame yeah. um when when you got nothing left to lose and and that's what that's what um and ministry is with open doors and um essentially equipping the persecuted church giving them prayer giving them finance raising all of that and the awareness of it, and I just love how your testimony has been this one where you've come through your life, you've been a, a PK, I've never heard that term before, but I think it's really cool, of <laughs> a pastor's kid, and um, and you've grown up in the church, and and you've, you've stayed that steady course, and um, I said this uh, before we started the podcast, is um, my brother would say to me, um, Marcus, he said that he never really had a testimony um, because he's he's never varied off the course. He's he's just stayed true to the gospel. He's just 
always gone to church. He went to Hillsong College and yeah. um, studied there, and and he serves extremely well in the church morning and evening and Wednesdays and mm. and he said to me he doesn't feel like he's got testimony but from where from him doing that and staying steadfast he's created that pillar for me yeah. and I don't think I would have come back to Christ without him being steadfast for Christ yeah. so it's one of those things where don't underestimate your testimony if you haven't had the gone to hell and back testimony you don't have to um you staying stead strong and just being who god's called you to be is a huge testimony and it's so powerful for those around you um and it's also important it's a true one too you're not trying to boost or boast about a (laughs) sinful part of your life you're just saying i've just loved the lord yeah (laughs) <laughs> Does not mean that I'm perfect, though, and I think um, I think uh, it's a little bit like a, a thousand little testimonies because I used to feel like oh, I've got nothing to share, and especially working as a physio, you have to, got really careful boundaries with people. You can, you know, those professional boundaries you have to be right. I remember because um, you get chatting to clients that you see again and again and again, they do become a bit like family because you're seeing them once a month for years or whatever, and. Uh, Remember God encouraging me that I could share my testimony because that's not proselytizing <laughs> or crossing those boundaries because they share their life with you. They share mm. the deepest, dark, darkest when you've got them on, on a table. It's quite amazing. But um, So he took me on this little journey of being able to just share the little things. Like I used to be really afraid of the dark because I was aware of the spiritual realm. I knew that demons are real, you know. So I used to be really afraid, but how God set me free from that or – just things that relate to normal people, like you know, fear of this or that, getting set free from that. I mean, fear is a, a massive one for people in different areas, or um, yeah, because it's a it's a progression, right? You know, walking with Jesus, and I'm definitely not perfect, far out. <laughs> and I think sometimes just being real with the fact that you are, you know, your spirit is saved, but you still got the soul that has tendencies for, for to sin or to do stuff and areas and. Whether it's a quick, quick, you know, I got prayer and I got set free from this, that's one testimony. Sometimes the bigger testimony is the fact that you've walked through, um, you know, this thing of feeling um, rejected at every turn and then God has actually brought you through out of that over a number of years or that used to be horrible, you know, not able to engage in conflict without getting angry or not being able to face conflict at all because you're afraid of rejection or something or other, and then God taking you out of that. Sometimes that's the more helpful testimonies for people anyway because they're kind of real everyday Mm. things for the average person. Mm. So God's taught me that, and I've learnt to value those little things because, and, and now I feel like, gosh, there's so much more work you need to do in me, God, and how can I help other people through what you're teaching me at the same time? You know, it's not... And what can I learn from them and their testimonies? You know, mm. um, I, that in that period at that time as a physio, I, God sort of gave me, reminded me of the verse in Revelation that says they overcame him, the enemy, by the power of the um, testimony and the blood, blood of, of the, the lamb. lamb. Mm. And um, He said, just share your testimony and the guts of the gospel, and that's mm. all you need to worry about. I think the the tail end of that verse is something about. Not afraid to die or something like yeah, that. They, which but is, they did not love their lives even unto death. So it's talking about the the martyrs in heaven. You yeah. Know. Um, but like, isn't that yeah. fitting for what you guys do? Your work wise with the persecuted mm. church at Open Doors. It is totally. I think amazing. Not loving your life even unto death. I mean, that's a whole life journey, isn't it? Is not loving your own that whole thing. You know, being in New Zealand where it's so comfortable, not loving the comfort so much. Um, mm. But even um, having the understanding that the opposite of fear is not like righteous anger, the opposite of fear is, is love, or love is the antidote to the fear, isn't it? So, yeah. Um, but yeah, when you encounter his love, that that is what keeps you going through the low stuff. Um, and the fact that it, you know that you know that you know that you know that. You are loved and he's got you even though everything looks horrible. Your finances are in a massive state and you need to actually help. You know, we inherit patterns from our family, you know. We inherit um, maybe ways of doing our finances that are not right or beliefs or whatever that we actually need to work through as Christians and and, uh, 
you know, learn how to get provision in the, and um, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I think that uh, work, walking with him and learning those things is, yeah, definitely part of the testimony. And um, it's very challenged too, just to being able to bring the guts of the gospel down to, you know, a sentence or two as well. When I went to India that first trip when I was 20, we um very spiritual because they see a lot of spiritual stuff all the time and, you know, evil spirit stuff all the time, people getting healed by evil spirits and and all sorts of things. And I met for the first time as a 20-year-old, another probably 18 or 20-year-old who had never heard the name Jesus before and said, oh, so so what's this Jesus, you know? And, and it was such a challenge to me, like, oh, flip, how do I start from someone who's in no context at all? Mm. So that was really good for me to actually go, okay, so, you know, taking it back to the guts of God, seeing his son, Jesus, you know, so we could be in relationship with him. Yeah, that that would be a, a tricky one to, I mean, you, you almost think that the whole planet knows the name of Jesus because, mm-hmm. I mean, you got most people use it as a slang word or a cuss word, just his name right there. So everybody yeah. knows the name of Jesus. But, um, then running into a people group where they've never heard that name of Jesus um, and explaining, you know, I couldn't even imagine uh, where to start. Like you said, you know, like, <laughs> all right, um, do you know what? I mean, you've got to start with almost the inbuilt morals of each person, isn't it? You know, do you see yourself as a good person? Um, yeah. And get to that point. I think Ray Comfort does a great job of, that sort of thing, um, yeah. but yeah, I think that's that's cool how God put you in a position where um, you almost have to create a little crash course on <laughs> the gospel. What do I say? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think the thing a lot of the cultures that I've come across like that who have no knowledge of the name of Jesus are usually very spiritually in tune. That's yeah. true. So they um, have awareness of the spiritual realm. And it's actually interesting that a lot of them, even an understanding of a supreme God um, that comes through the oral traditions. You know, I um, had the privilege of doing a couple of years of Tarao language study um, the last couple of years. And just getting an understanding or hearing from them about their oral tradition and the fact that there is a supreme God and how that threads through um, their own stories, their own cultural stories. So usually they have an understanding, like the Bible says, that they, they have the knowledge of God inside of them. And it's, yeah, just letting the Holy Spirit use your words, even though you feel like a donkey <laughs> <laughs> at the moment. So many times I felt like a donkey and what am I saying? Holy <laughs> <laughs> Spirit can work through that. Yeah, so. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. Oh, that's awesome. Um, okay, so if anybody that's going through their life right now, you know, um, and I'm talking to the ones that believe that they haven't gone through a crazy testimony or anything like that, somebody that's been brought up in church, we might even be talking about the PKs here, the pastor's kids. <laughs> Do you have some advice for them that might be listening today um, on how to put their life in context to, you know, I don't have to go through that those trials and tribulations per se to, to have a strong connection to God. I don't have to have that God moment that a lot of people have. Um, what would you say to them that, feel like they don't have a story because our testimony is powerful and yeah. even your testimony of, of and you have actually gone through a number of things. Like you said, a hundred thousand little testimonies all mm. weaved through your life and just where God's been directing you, that's an incredible testimony about the, the soundness of God and, and how you're hearing his voice and how he's directing you. And you've probably got a million stories of like cool little miracles that you've seen happen and mm-hmm. things like that. But yeah, so just somebody that um, is in a Western world and they don't know how to find God without not wanting to hit rock bottom to do it. <laughs> yeah, I think... You know, kids are pretty good at, um, there's always a question, is there more, is there more, and are you real? And you're always in the Western, especially the Western world, have a challenge to that. Um, and, the, you know, uh, both directly and indirectly, 
um, a challenge to that. But I think it, it come. I mean, at the end of the day, if you strip the strip all the stuff away, we know that it is in our spirits that there is something more. And the Bible promises that if you seek me, you'll find me. If you seek me with all of your heart. Mm. And so, if somebody genuinely wants to find out, are you real God? He will show Himself to you. And and God promises that in the Bible, so you can test that out of its, you know. As, as hard as you like, and he will come through for you, and he will make you meet people that will tell you, you know, along the way, he'll help you find him if you genuinely want to. If you're afraid of finding him because it, it might mean that I have to change my whole life, then that could be a blockage to you actually finding him. So then you could say, well, God, if, if I, you know, have to acknowledge it's a spiritual realm whereas before I thought it's just me and I die and then there's nothing then um okay God if you're real then show me that it's you know that it's that it's actually going to be okay you know I'm afraid that this will mean that I have to give up my family my friends and everything that I love okay God you know just challenge him and he will answer you because he promises that the other thing for people who've sort of grown up in church and do love Jesus but not don't feel like they have a testimony, one thing that really encouraged me was, you know, the fact that Jesus never had a hell and back testimony, that he never had to do anything wrong to change the world and to um, be filled with the Holy He's the model for us, right, you know, filled with the Holy Spirit and then changing the world and fulfilling everything that he was called to be and do without having to go through and be sinful. And so that was a good answer for me when I was feeling like, oh, I don't really know what it feels like to, um, you know, be a drug addict and I don't really know what it feels like, so how can I even, you know, say anything to them? Well, Jesus said, well, I didn't have to do that in order to actually be of minister to them, be of some help to them. That's a really good point. Or whatever. So that's my encouragement to people who sort of don't have a hell and back testimony, I guess, um, because God will use... Everybody's testimony, as you guys know, um, for the people he calls you to minister to, mm. you know. And so often he gets us to to um, share his love with people who are like us, not like, you know, usually it is the people who are just look like you and sound like you who can relate most to your testimony, you know. Mm. So, Yeah, God arranges those meetings uh, and mm. he knows what he's doing, funny enough. Funny, that, eh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so um, thank you so much for joining us on the Jesus Magnet for the third time. Um, That's awesome. awesome. It's such so many cool episodes, so many cool stories with you and your husband. Um, And, yeah, we just, you know, if you're listening to this, I just pray that it blesses you and and it reaches, you know, your ears at the right moment, um, that your testimony is powerful. And, um, yeah. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Jesus Magnet Podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Jesus Magnet Podcast. If you enjoyed this, make sure that you connect with us. Find us on Facebook, on Instagram. And if you want to support us, be a member of our coffee club, Jesus Magnet Coffee Club. See you next time on the Jesus Magnet.